Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Miller High Life. Miller High Life brings pride to the simple things in life in an iconic glass bottle. Big or small, there are moments within every day worth celebrating. Celebrate with Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, a high-quality beer within everyone's reach. You know what's a good thing to celebrate, everybody? We are living our lives. We are putting on our masks. We are washing our hands all the time, loading up on hand sanitizer. 2020 has been so ridiculous. And we got through it. We're getting through it. It's September, baby. I am regularly putting on a bra. That's the first time that I've said that in six months. So cheers to that. Miller High Life was created to bring pride to the simple things in life. Miller High Life has been faithfully brewed the same way since its start on New Year's Eve in 1903. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hey everybody, I'm Rachel Bonetta. And I'm Rechna Fruppbaum. And this is Hall of Shame. Hi, Rachel. Hello. How are you feeling, my friend? I am missing an organ that I once yes. had. I got my gallbladder removed, you guys. And now you're gallbladder less. I'm gallbladder less. I am on a strict diet of just basically jello and soup, which is that's mi- horrifying. Miserable. <laughs> For how long? I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of like a touch and go situation. Like I got to feel how I'm feeling basically. Gotcha. I also have to warn you that I'm still somewhat on drugs. So oh, this could well, get I a feel little... like that's just like a fun situation hey, for us. Can I tell you two quick stories? Yeah. The first one Always. being when I was coming out of my anesthesia, I met this lovely nurse. Shout outs to Tim. Okay. Tim gave me lots Shout of drugs out. at the hospital. And I tweeted something out about that. I was just like, I just got my gallbladder removed. Shout outs to Tim. Tim managed to find this, started Aww. tweeting me. And I was like, oh, dear Lord Jesus, what did I say? Because <laughs> you were just like loopy. I was just stony baloney all night long hanging out with my pal I love Tim. It. You're like, Tim, I don't know what I said. Are we married? Are we? What's going on? Cut to a few hours later, the situation didn't get much better. I had another male nurse who I didn't catch the name of, but he caught a lot of me. I was just hanging out with my one single boob out of my gown. (laughs) Hey, man. All evening. You do you. (laughs) That's actually what I think he said when he came in. Hey. You do you. So I had a very classy stay at Shea Hotel Santa Monica Hospital. Well, hey, man, I feel like it's all on brand, you know? And that's... I don't know. Because you're fun. Oh, okay. You're fun like that, you know? I got to warn you, I might say ow every time I laugh just because I have have literal holes in my abs right now, but it's all good. Ouch. Well, hey... Bonus or silver lining, I guess, yeah. to your weird diet is that you don't got to work out. You'll just you know what I was drop actually a couple lbs. I was thinking about that last week. <laughs> like I I went for not a bike ride and I was like, I'm not gonna have to do this, and like I'm not gonna have to feel bad about not doing this for a really long time. 
time. Because you medically can't. Like, we all want a medical reason to not have to work out instead of just like the shame of making the choice. Exactly. I will say my you boyfriend know? has become an excellent nurse. And I was texting. The three male nurses. I was, I know, what is with me? Yeah. I was texting my mom like, oh my God, I just, I just got up and made myself lunch for the first time. And she's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like milk this for all it's worth, girl. Yeah. You stay in that bed. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my attitude right now. It's just milking it. Well, look, in a world where you can't work out right now, what is the hardest workout you've ever done? Ooh, probably. Do you remember oh, the, the beep test? Do you remember the beep test? No. Wait, really? You didn't what? have the. T- I don't think that this is a Canadian thing. Picture like your your gym in high school, right? And how you uh-huh. can you'd have to like run from line to line, and there would be a beep every time, and then the beeps would get closer and closer together. So by the end of it, you're just like sprinting back and forth. What? The beep test would literally give me anxiety. Like you would know that the awful. beep test was coming like in the next few weeks and you're like, oh shit. Oh God. People would throw up. It was a whole situation. That's- People have got to know about the beep test. I remember we had the presidential fitness test, which would bring up what? all sorts of anxiety, but I don't remember the beep test. I'm sorry. The presidential... This country is whack. You'd have to like run a mile in a certain amount of time and do push-ups and pull-ups and... Okay, why do we have to... Listen, being in high school sucks already. Why do we have all of these crazy tests that we need to do? Like, this is insane. Hard enough. Come on. Well, look, I'll say this. I don't think any of that compares to what is like my worst nightmare, which I've never actually fully done, which is train for a marathon. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. So... As you know, we were coming out of a month of Olympics stories because it would have been the 2020 Olympics, if not for COVID. And then we took a pause because we interviewed Elizabeth Williams, which was so awesome. But we still wanted to wrap up the month. And I thought, how could we wrap up an Olympics month without hitting perhaps the most quintessential of Olympic events, one of the OGs and the sport that kicked off this podcast of ours, the marathon. Yay! So even though you and I could not train, we love to talk about we it. We love to pretend love. we're more athletic than we are. And since this is a podcast, y'all don't know. You don't know. I know you guys aren't pulling over to Google us. <laughs> you don't know what we look like. <laughs> Very easy to Google either of us and see what we look like. Okay, That's but fun. like... Pictures don't do us justice. We're jacked. We're so jacked. So today, we're going to talk about the most chaotic, absurd, and straight-up hilarious Olympic Games of all time, the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis, Missouri. And down the road, we're going to specifically talk about two runners in the marathon that year, Thomas Hicks and Fred Lors. So before we get to the marathon, there's so much wild stuff about these games that's worth contextualizing first, because these were like a real doos. Okay. So the 1904 games were only the third Olympics of the modern era. The two prior were the 1896 games in Athens, which had nine sports, and the 1900 games in Paris, which had 19 sports. Our 1904 games also had 19 sports, including... Tug of War, (gasps) which was part of track and field. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Other sports were swimming, soccer, and whatever wrestling freestyle is. 
No, I don't want to know. <laughs> and at that time, there was only one competition, archery, that allowed women. So, oh. you know, let's pause and wonder why archery of all sports was left for the women. But actually, why? Hey, man, kind of cool. Okay. Are we I don't know. soldiers? Have we always <laughs> been? I think so. I feel like it makes me think we're all, it was like, you know, the Orlando Bloom character in Lord of the Rings. Ooh, that was what he did, right? We're like elves now? Yeah. Okay. Don't hate it. Okay. So look, the 1896 Athens Games, which were the first ones of the modern era, were regarded as a success. And then the 1900 Games in Paris, which were held in conjunction with the Paris World's Fair, were a disaster. They were super disorganized, horrible facilities, took place over far too long a period of time, and the vast majority of the athletes were from the host nation. So it really wasn't mm. an international event. Got it. Basically, the precedent for the Olympics to be a problematic shit show was set right from the start. <laughs> right from the get-go. <laughs> and have never failed to deliver no. on that promise. And indeed, the 1904 Games in St. Louis that we're going to talk about today learned no lessons from the Paris debacle. Just carried that tradition on. So the 1904 Games were originally set to take place in Chicago. But the location was changed to St. Louis when the Olympic Organizing Committee officials were pressured to combine the Olympics with the World's Fair, like that had happened in Paris, too, mm -hmm. because the World's Fair was celebrating the 100th anniversary of the U.S. acquisition of the Louisiana Territory. And back then, the World's Fair was a really big deal. Right. But the point here being changing cities is like a giant undertaking, but they were like, just go ahead and do that real quick. Change it from Chicago to St. Louis. Yeah, no problem. We'll figure it out. And the former Missouri governor and organizer, with a little help from President Teddy Roosevelt, demanded that the games be moved. So they kind of didn't have a choice. Got it. So the World's Fair, like I said, was a much bigger deal at the time. And they basically threatened to hold sporting events that would counter-program against the Olympics if they didn't comply. It's like high school level That's drama. That's like a little petty, but okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we love, we love it I when love people get petty. I love it. Love it. So... Much like in Paris, the St. Louis Olympics weren't quite the international event that we're used to today. Only 12 countries participated. Oh. The remoteness of St. Louis and the growing tension in Europe over the Russo-Japanese War kept away many of the world's best athletes. Like, you get it back then. It was hard to get places. So, like, we got shit to do, you guys. We can't yeah. be playing tug-of-war. Maybe next week. I mean, it's hard to get to St. Louis today. True. Like, there's not a ton of direct flights, let alone I back then. I can't say I've ever been. It's a cool city. Okay. Anyway, the U.S. accounted for 500 of the 630 athletes who took part. So a very large percentage were just U.S. athletes. Uh, more of a national event. Our medal account will be up there. And then they even procured athletes from other nations to compete for them. What? So, <laughs> yeah. It's like, was Trump the head of the committee? LOL. Am I right? Just like, you know. Trying to steal other countries' top brains. Yeah, we'll take two athletes. Canadians. Um, yeah. One from Mexico, who, thank you. Hey, Germany, who are your best athletes? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm going to we'll call them, them to compete for us. Thanks. Great, great, great. <laughs> so the Olympics was a shit show. The World's Fair was also, it's not like it was perfect. As a sideshow, the World's Fair had anthropology days, which included staged, racially insensitive sideshows in which First Nation Americans Mabuti tribesmen and Filipinos climbed a greased pole and slung mud at each other. I'm sorry. Yikes. Why do people just suck? This country. Why? What? Oof. 
Why, though? <laughs> Why? Love that the Republicans are like, we are not a racist country. We are not, we are not racist. We do not have a racist history. Untrue. And you're like, oh, my God. Y'all are racist. <laughs> Guys. Anyway. Let's just November be <laughs> over and done with at this point. Uh, Christ. We're tired. We're tired. We're tired. So Pierre de Coubertin. Nailed it. Look at me who was a French historian and founder of the International Olympic Committee, was very disapproving of all of this spectacle. Mm -hmm. Pierre was so outraged, and so much so that he did not even attend. Neither hilariously did the president. Teddy Roosevelt was like, oh, no, thank you. (laughs) So that's sort of like the landscape as we're entering the 1904 Games in St. Louis. You can kind of see why the Olympics are still a shit show. Like you said, yeah. it was bred in totally. shit. It's like in the DNA. <laughs> to be a clusterfuck. So within this already disorganized and ridiculous Olympics, the marathon is set to go. Our girl, the OG event, you know? <laughs> our, our girl, the marathon? <laughs> yeah. I hey, love man. It. I love it. Let's make everything feminine. So the race was held on August 30th, 1904 at 3.03 p.m. on a sweltering and humid 90-degree day. So usually, as we know, marathons start in the morning, so it's cooler. Like, I'm not a scientist or doctor, but it seems deeply obvious to not begin a marathon at 3 in the afternoon Mm. during the height of summer in deeply muggy St. Louis. Like, I feel like they knew that even in 1904. It's not like modern science taught us that. Right. And the course took the runners over these, like, dusty, unpaved roads, and there were seven hills varying from 100 to 300 Mm-mm. feet high, some with these super brutally long ascents. So, like, no one was, like, paying attention to what this course I'm was. I'm genuinely curious as to why people sign up for these things. Wild. Like, Retro and I maybe <laughs> two months ago said that we were going to run a mile. I definitely haven't done that. <laughs> we have yet to do that in our defense. It's been hot and we're in a pandemic. It's been a heat wave, you guys. <laughs> it's been a heat wave. Okay. And we were also drinking beer when we promised. This, so. <laughs> anyway, in many places over the course of this race, there was cracked stone across the roadway, creating dangerous footing that the men had Ooh. to constantly dodge. You know. <gasps> Obstacle course. Like you should have to do when you're already running a marathon. <laughs> there was also... Crosstown traffic, delivery wagons, railroad trains, trolley cars, and people walking their dogs, which kicked up dust and launched the runners into coughing spells during the race. Oh, my God. My dudes didn't even take the very basic step of clearing the path for the runners. And there were only two places where athletes could get fresh water. From a water tower at six miles and a roadside well at 12 miles. That doesn't seem healthy. Wild. So James Sullivan, the chief organizer of these games, I mean, James, not doing great. Don't put this on your resume, James. Do not yeah, James, put this on your resume. This one, let's like pretend you never were a part of it. Yeah. So this guy wanted to minimize fluid intake to test the limits and effects of purposeful dehydration, which at the time was a common area of research. I feel like I do that by accident sometimes. <laughs> totally. It's like five and I'm like, I it's I haven't had water since 9 a.m. Let me just see if I can survive an entire month without water <laughs> by accident. So one official called it the most difficult course a human being was ever asked to run over. Sounds like it. Yeah. Even before the race started, 18 of the 32 competitors in the marathon withdrew due to the conditions. Oh. (laughs) 
They were like, James, no thanks. I'm going back to Germany. (laughs) Yeah, goodbye. But here are some of the runners who stayed in. So there were 10 Greeks who had never run a marathon. How on earth they qualified? God knows. (laughs) Here they are, 10 of them. There were two South Africans, Len Ta and Jan Mashiani, who will come into play later, who were in St. Louis as part of the South African World's Fair exhibit and who arrived at the starting line barefoot. Oh, okay. They were both Kaffir tribesmen, and they had been dispatch runners during the recent Boer War and were noted to be the fastest in the service. Whoa. Who was our girl that we talked about, like, first few weeks on this podcast that was, like, kick-ass? Do you remember? Caster Semenya. Yes! Yes. She was dope. You know they're going to be fast. She was awesome. Yeah. So a note, these two men were the first two Africans to compete ever in the Olympic Games. Wow. So good on them. That's awesome. There was also a Cuban national and former mailman named Felix Carbajal, who raised money to come to the States by demonstrating his running prowess throughout Cuba He once trekked the length of the island, but then upon his arrival to the States, he lost all his money on a dice game in New Orleans. Oh my God, have you never seen Titanic, Felix? My dude, stay away from those dice. Anyway, he ended up having to walk and hitchhike from New Orleans to St. Louis to compete. Oh, baby boy. He was also only five feet tall, which is rare for a marathoner to be that short, but he was very, like, striking at the starting line because he was wearing a white long sleeve shirt, long dark pants, a beret, and a pair of street shoes. Like, I, I respect the hustle. I don't know if it's, like, the best look for running a marathon. So he essentially, like, walked the marathon and then showed up to the starting line to then run another marathon. A marathon. More on him later as well. Can't wait. So a fellow Olympian took pity on his sort of outfit and found a pair of scissors and cut the pants into shorts. Oh, <laughs> God bless. So, okay. Okay. Then there was a French man named Albert Carré who did not have the right papers, so was listed as running for the U.S. U.S. always trying to gain an edge <laughs> in whatever way they can, cheaters. And so to this day, he's listed as like a U.S. runner. <laughs> And then finally, actually legit running for the U.S. were Sam Meller, who won the 1902 Boston Marathon, John Lorden, who won the 1903 Boston Marathon, Michael Spring, who won the 1904 Boston Marathon, and then Arthur L. Newton, who finished fifth in the marathon in the 1900 Paris Games, and William Garcia, who was a track and field athlete. And then our two main dudes, who I mentioned at the top, Fred Lors who did all his training at night because he had a day job as a bricklayer and earned his spot in the Olympics by placing in a special five-mile race sponsored by the Athletic Union. Okay, are they just, like, letting everybody into this thing? Like, we could have done this. I could have showed them my beep test results. Yeah. If all it took was, like, run a 5K, I could probably do that. I could run a marathon then. Or at least qualify. And then there was a Brit named Thomas Hicks who was running for the U.S., So I don't know. I'm throwing a lot of names at you, but our main focus is Fred and Thomas. Okay. I wonder if these people from other countries got paid to represent the U.S. or else why? They must have, right? Bribed. Or they were probably like, yeah, or at least they were like, we'll pay your way, but you have to run for us or Mm, something. Okay. So in the sea of many names I've thrown at you, our two main guys are Fred and Thomas. One would go on to be the legal and real winner and the other, 
a cheater. Oh. We love a story about a marathon cheater Oh, here. we've just stumbled we upon so many, haven't we? It's so fun. But to hear the details, Rachel, you're going to have to wait until after this mm. break. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Brooke Linen. I don't know about you guys, but I have the same routine every single day. I wake up, I walk the dogs, I make coffee, and guess what else I do? I make my bed because I am a grown adult. And I also know that when you make your bed in the morning, it starts a chain of daily successes. So what feels better than making your bed every morning? How about the sheets that go on it? Go with Brooklinen, home of the internet's favorite sheets. You know, just the other day I mentioned the dogs. We have a puppy in our home and she got a little too excited when I asked her if she wanted to go on a walk. So she just, the girl just peed right then and there. She was like, I'm not waiting around. Y'all said walk. Here we go. Waterfall. You know what I mean? And I was just like, oh no, our bed sheets have urine all over them. Brooklinen arrives that day. I get to throw my old pea-soaked sheets out, and I get brand new, comfy, cozy Brooklinen to slide into at night. Lou and I had a little chit-chat. She's actually not allowed to pee on Brooklinen specifically, and she agreed. These sheets are just like way too comfortable. I can't pee on them. So we're off to a good start. Brooklinen was the first direct-to-consumer bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers and directly with customers. No middlemen, just a great product and service. All luxury products without the luxury markup. Over 50,000 plus five-star reviews and counting. Brooklyn and Sheets are the perfect place to start making your mornings great. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all of their bedding comes with a lifetime warranty. Get 10% off your first order and free shipping when you use the promo code SHAME only at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen, everything you need to live your most comfortable life. Hall of Shame is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. What if a quarterback completed four out of five of his passes or a point guard hit four out of five shots behind the arc in front of virtual fans cheering him on, of course? Well, now when you're hiring, you can play at that level because four out of five employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. No matter the industry, healthcare to manufacturing to business services, ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier. And today, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com shame. ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for the right candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter's AI scouts talent for you. First, when you post your job on ZipRecruiter, it gets sent out to over 100 top job sites. Then ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right skills and experience, and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. And now to try ZipRecruiters for free, our listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com shame. That's ZipRecruiter.com shame. S-H-A-M-E. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash S-H-A-M-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash shame. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hall of Shame is brought to you by Felix Gray. There are a lot of blue light glasses on the market, but they're not all created equal. Many blue light glasses don't filter enough blue light, especially in the range that matters. Felix Gray uses a proprietary filtering technology to filter 15 times more blue light in the same range. I don't know about you guys, but... Your girl is on her phone literally all the time right now. I am reading the news. I am staying up to date on what is going on in this world and specifically in this country. And then because I do all that, um, I feel like I need to watch something nice and positive before I go to bed so I just don't have nightmares all day long and throughout the night, if you know what I'm 
insane. So every single night I watch a ton of TV before I go to sleep, which is not healthy. Popular devices are a major source of blue light. Phones, tablets, computers, TV, Kindles, and other devices. Common symptoms, I've actually been reading a lot about this lately. Common symptoms from spending too much time in front of screens include headaches, blurry vision, dry, tired eyes, and bingo bango, trouble sleeping. And exposure to blue light at night can lower the production of melatonin, the hormone that regulates sleep. Felix Grey glasses filter out 90% of blue light in the most damaging range and eliminates 99% of glare through a proprietary industry-leading lens technology only available with Felix Grey. Felix Grey frames are hand-finished from durable, super lightweight Italian acetate. Oh girl, you know I'm bougie if I'm wearing that Italian acetate. I got the Roebling in Sazerac Crystal. These glasses are really cute. Listen, I have perfect 2020 vision. Thank you very much. So I don't get to wear cool glasses. And this is kind of like the perfect situation because I get to wear cool glasses now and it's helping my eyes and I don't feel as bad about being on my phone and watching TV before I go to bed. Order online, glasses shipped directly to you with hard case and lens cloth included. Try them for 30 days risk-free. If your screens aren't easier on the eyes, send them back for a full refund. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash shame for the absolute best quality blue light filtering glasses on the market. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com slash shame. Shipping and returns are totally free at Felix Gray. Felixgrayglasses.com slash shame. Shipping and returns are totally free. Felixgrayglasses.com slash shame. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. So we're back. Here's where we're at. We're in St. Louis at the 1904 Olympic Games. It's super disorganized. It's a crazy shit show, like all Olympics are. And we're at the start of the marathon, which somehow in this already insane Olympics was even more insane. Half the runners weren't even trained marathon athletes. Oh. And half the runners before that dropped out before the race even began. <laughs> They're like, nah, so, not yeah. me. I'm good. It's just after 3 p.m. on a hot, humid summer day in St. Louis, Missouri. Just perfect running weather. <laughs> David R. Francis, president of the Louisiana Purchase Exposition Company, fires the starting pistol and the men are off. Fred leads off the gun, but at the mile mark, Thomas Hicks edges ahead. And then the next eight miles are just a total disaster. They make it one mile. And then everything goes to hell. Oh. Len Tao, one of the South African participants, is chased a mile off course by wild dogs. Wild? There's wild dogs now? Wild. He ends up running an entire mile off course being chased by That's these not dogs. Fair. Not great. John Lorden, who has won the Boston Marathon before, so he's done this, begins vomiting and gives up. <laughs> Same. We're like two miles in. <laughs> Felix, remember our guy in the beret? Yes. And like the dress shoes. Who could forget? Just think about that for a minute. Pauses to chat with spectators. At one point, he stops a car, sees that the occupants are eating peaches, and asks for one. They refuse, so he playfully takes two peaches and starts running and eating. Okay, well, I don't blame Felix because he's walked slash ran about yeah. a trillion miles at this point. Across the country, yeah. 
So little note about him. This man was a true fruit lover. He apparently, at some point during the race, found an orchard en route and stopped to eat apples, but then they were rotten, and he got stomach cramps that were so bad he had to lay down and take a long nap to recover. Okay, Felix should be doing something else with his time, I think, at this point. (laughs) Did he even realize he's competing in the Olympics? (laughs) This point's lost a dice game. (laughs) Now he's getting poisoned by apples. Just, like, go take the afternoon off, Felix. Our guy. Let's get him some good fruit, you know? I love that you began that sentence like, Felix was a real fruit guy. (laughs) (laughs) So look, all of this has happened. We're at the nine mile mark. Wow. So Fred, our bricklayer, is exhausted and has cramps and has his manager pick him up in a car. Rosie Ruiz, Ruiz. (laughs) our girl. So two of like the legit marathon runners are now neck and neck for the lead with Hicks, the Brit, in a close third. Then one of the legit marathon runners, Meller, gets cramps too and Hicks bursts into second. So Fred's in a car and Hicks is like, doing a good job. I'm literally picturing the three, I mean, besides the guy in the car, everyone's just like hobbling down this road, like so thirsty, just seeing stuff. It's awful. They got like one more chance for water. (laughs) There's wild dogs just like growling from the side. (laughs) So at 14 miles, Meller, one of the Boston Marathon winners, fights through his cramps and regains the lead. Newton's in second and our guy Hicks is in third with the Frenchman Albert Carré in fourth and William Garcia right there behind him. So it's still like a race. <laughs> I guess you can call it that. It's been a shit show, but we got five dudes going. And then Garcia collapses and proceeds to need emergency surgery. <gasps> Gallbladder. According to historian Nancy Perezzo, he had ingested so much dust that it ripped his stomach lining. Oh! Had he gone unaided an hour longer, he might have bled to death. I'm so sorry, but the Olympics <laughs> should have been canceled after this, is like this one. The most bunk and insane marathon of all time. Wow. That I sounds mean, like the most painful thing. Okay, but still running, girl. Wow. <laughs> At the 17 mile mark, Hicks, the Brit, isn't doing so hot. I mean, who literally would be? He begs his trainers and handlers for water, but because they also believe that weird superstition about dehydration, that wacko theory, they refuse. They do dab him repeatedly with a sponge soaked in warm water. Imagine if you were like, Rachel, I'm dying. I need to drink cold water ASAP. And they're like, how about a warm sponge bath instead? Let me just drip some water all over your face and you can't actually have any. (laughs) That sounds How about that instead? unbearable. Two miles later, as Hicks, our Brit, is literally on the brink of collapse, they do give him something. It's not water. Oh, God. It's drugs. <laughs> okay. So they give him a 160th grain of strychnine and egg whites washed down with brandy, which <sighs> is a stimulant, apparently. It's also an incredibly powerful rat poison, but it juices him up just enough to stagger along hallucinating. He makes it another two miles and is insanely 
in the lead. Are we sure that this isn't some kind of like purge <laughs> situation where like all of these athletic trainers just want to see people go through immense terror and pain? I mean, possibly. Here, right? take this rat poison. Okay, so our guy is like hallucinating on drugs, but he has been powering through. Lures, Fred, our bricklayer, who's in a car, apparently drove for 10 miles until the car broke down and then was like, you know what? I'm going to finish this race on foot. Even the car like, was just like, like, a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, who gives a shit about winning this janky, insane race at this point? I'll tell you who. The Brit Hicks trainers. They assure Hicks that Lors will be disqualified because he Poor was in Hicks. a car and give him a second dose of the alcohol poison raw egg thing. Wow. <laughs> Insane. So just shy of three hours after this bonkers race began, the crowd is waiting in the stadium where the finish line is. And through the dusty haze, they see a runner in the <gasps> distance. It's Fred Lors. What? The car driving He enters the stadium, (laughs) just like getting that victory. Behind him, Hicks, who's like drugged up beyond belief, comes in at second place, finishing in three hours and 28 minutes. Hold on. I'm imagining Hicks is like weekend at Bernie's. (laughs) Like his managers are just like, oh my God. Here he comes. Totally. His handlers are literally carrying him over the finish line. It's totally weekend at Bernie's. The Frenchman without papers, Albert Corey, finishes at three hours and 34 minutes in third, followed by American Arthur Newton. Our beret-wearing Cuban, Felix, finishes fourth. So apparently after his nap, he booted and rallied and (laughs) managed to get fourth place. Nothing like a good bout of diarrhea to get you moving. From like rotten apples. The fruit lover. He's a fruit lover, you guys. In the end, he turns it around. Later, interestingly, the Cuban government would sponsor him to travel to Greece to run in a marathon in Athens in 1906, but he failed to show up, Great. was presumed dead. Okay. His obituary was literally published, but then he wasn't actually dead. This fruit-loving man is like a trip. This needs to be a movie, <laughs> and like Leonardo DiCaprio needs to play him, is to what I just Felix. decided. Yep. Okay, so the race continues. Len Tao, one of our South Africans, ends up in ninth. Despite being chased by dogs a mile off the course, Jan Mashiani, the other African, finished 12th. So, like, you know, somehow this race ended and, like, not everyone died. So our cheating bricklayer, Fred Lors, is crowned the winner. Theodore Roosevelt's daughter, who did attend, Alice, even places a wreath on his head. But then, according to an eyewitness, someone dramatically halts the proceedings and calls Lors out for being an imposter because he drove in a car. (laughs) Legit. So Hicks... Our poor man who's like drugged and refused water and got a sponge bath gets the victory after all. Not sure it's remotely worth it. (laughs) He has, to this day, he has the longest time ever posted by an Olympic marathon runner and he never raced again. Uh, When he crossed the finish, he almost died in the stadium. It took four doctors and one hour for Hicks to even feel well enough to just leave the grounds. Over the course of the race, he had lost eight pounds. Oh my God, that is not good. And yet, in classic Olympics fashion, 
The use of stimulating substances like the rat poison in sport wasn't banned until 1928. Wow. So much (laughs) rat poison. So many marathons. Ew! As for our cheater, Lors, he claimed he only accepted the win as a joke and did not mean to make it seem like he had actually completed the race. You know how you do? You know how you, like, get in a car and they're like, just for funsies, I'm going to pretend I won this marathon. I mean, this entire thing sounds like a joke to me. (laughs) James Sullivan, our guy who's like the head organizer of the 1904 Olympics, was not having it. He was so outraged that he had Lores banned from amateur athletic competition for life. I'm like, James, maybe you should be banned from planning Olympics. How about (laughs) that? He was keeping things spicy. Yeah. It's like the only fun thing of your shitty Olympics He was motivating everyone. Luckily for Fred Lores, a few months later, cooler heads prevailed and it was agreed that he legitimately was joking because he had a reputation as a prankster. You know, an OG George Clooney, if you will. Jokester. (laughs) And he was not actually trying to cheat. And interestingly, he went on to win the Boston Marathon that next year. Okay, So, okay, that's something. I guess Rosie wasn't the first person to cheat in the Boston Marathon either then, was she? (laughs) James Sullivan, the organizer, told reporters at the time, quote, when the games are held at Rome in 1908, I do not think the marathon will be included. I personally am opposed to it and is indefensible on any ground but historic. A 25-mile run, especially under the conditions which existed over the course selected for the Tuesday race, is asking too much of human endurance. It is a great relief to me that the event is over and none of the runners apparently are any worse for it. James, you were the head of the 1904 game, so uh, it's on you, bud. This is on you. (laughs) What? I saw firsthand that this was bad and we should not do it again. (laughs) Whoever made these choices, shame on them. Oh, it was me? Oh, it was me. They should be celebrated. My bad. Hilariously, despite all that bravado, the marathon did happen at the 1908 Games, which were held in London instead of Rome due to the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And not learning any lessons yet again on brand for the Olympics, not only was water just as scarce, but they made the race longer. I mean, I'm at a loss for words (laughs) at this point. Did they also make it at 3 p.m. in in a blistering (laughs) hot afternoon? You know what they did do? Just like in 1904, the winner had to drink brandy just to make it across the finish line. Oh, my God. So look, Rachel, as we wrap up our month of Olympics, since we did not get our Olympics games this summer, the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis were batshit crazy across the board. Let us not forget that not only was a man fed rat poison, but Olympic officials were also actively testing a totally bonkers dehydration theory in the 90 degree heat of the Midwest in the middle of the summer. I I wonder how many weird things we do now that in like 20 years we're going to be like, oh my God, can you believe that we were like exercising? Can you guys believe that we used to exercise and now we know how bad it is for us? Like that's wild. (laughs) Why would we have ever done that? But look, so in this like crazy Olympics, the marathon event took the gold I did it. Do you see? I did it. it. For being the biggest clusterfuck of them all. (laughs) Interestingly, these were the first games at which gold, silver, and bronze medals were awarded. So I guess that's something. And in the corresponding super racist World's Fair that we talked about, it also marked the debut of ice cream cones and hot dogs with mustard. Which, Rachel, 
major win. We know win. you love a hot dog. <laughs> so there are some silver linings, but just like to sum it up, as we wrap up our Olympics month, the fucking Olympics, <laughs> shady, corrupt, and bonkers shady. from the very beginning. <laughs> We love to see it. Honestly, if you're going to be this shady, shitty, and corrupt, at least give us tug of war back. Like, I would love yeah. to see that in a professional You know setting. what? Let's petition to get tug of war back. Y'all can keep doing your shit. Give us tug of war. <laughs> that's it. And that's my story today. That was really, that was a perfect one to end on. <laughs> now it makes me miss the Olympics even more because we I can't, know. I feel like if we were telling these stories while the Olympics were on, it would be so much fun to go and watch yeah. these insane sports and athletes, but- Alas. Well, hopefully next year. Next year, we are going to be in it to win it. We yes. are watching the Olympics all summer long. That was a great story, Rachel. That was absolutely <laughs> insane. It's good. And next week, we'll be out of the Olympics, but have some other fun story, I'm sure. I can't wait. Yes, we will. Bye, girl. <laughs> Feel better. I can't wait till you can eat something other than jello. I'm so excited for that day. Until then, I might transition to pudding. So that's fun. Ooh. See you guys next week. I'll see you next week. Bye. Hall of Shame is a product of Crooked Media. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Allison Falzetta. Our executive producers are Sarah Geismer and Stephen Hoffman. Engineering and sound design by Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa. Thank you to Sydney Rapp and Brian Semmel for production support every week. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.